water. And when they pulled her out of the water, she had a beating heart but no pulse. And unfortunately, Hashem has taken her soul, and that uh, happened last night. So this is a very tough day. Very, very tough day, Zelda. And how do you deal with tough days like this? That's a good question. I don't know. You just, you just deal with it. You just deal with it. Um, you know, the skeptics have no answers, and people of faith have no questions. Uh, it's certainly not something we can address on a logical level. Let's put it that way. Well, it's a difficult time that we're in at this point, Tisha B'Av, and everything that surrounds us. And anything that can go wrong, our hearts go out to the family. And we hope and pray that they can deal with this. It's not an easy matter at all. Okay. So can we talk? Yeah, we can, we can talk about whatever you want, Zelda. You just you asked me how my day was going. So... Uh... So I told you, <laughs> it's uh, not the best of days, not the best of days, although as they say, every day on this side of the grass is a good day. Uh, some days are certainly better than others. Okay, so, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are not Jewish, that are probably becoming educated in the Jewish world by all the great information that you provide and others. So. Talk to us about these three weeks in Tisha B'Av, what they mean and, and how they affect us. Because right now, I think everybody with, you know, within reason has been affected during this time. I, I, I'm not sure that uh, everybody's been affected, Zelda. And I, I, I will say this, for all of our non-Jewish listeners, you must know that we, the Jewish people, live by our faith tradition a tradition that was rooted in mass revelation at Sinai, that each and every human being is created in God's image. I'm going to repeat that for emphasis. Each and every member of the human race is necessarily created in God's image. And of, of course, the question, the question is, what does that mean for Jewish people who reject the concept of corporeality? And divinity, it's not a, that's a toxic marriage. It doesn't work. God can't be corporeal in any way, shape or form. So if God has no corporeality, what then is the meaning of humanity created in God's image? And Maimonides says that this refers to consciousness and the soul, the structure of our personalities. This is, uh, if you will, a replica, a tiny miniature of the system of, of, of God's consciousness or, or, um, or, or, or divinity. Not something that can be understood in, in an easy way. Um, the Hasidic doctrine and teaching sheds a great deal of light on an otherwise extremely nuanced and complicated subject. But I want to translate that into, into, into plain English. In plain English, being created in God's image means that you can have a relationship with God, a unique relationship with God, that we are, if you will, compatible with God. As the Magad of Mizrich taught on the words in the Torah that we studied and read just a couple of weeks ago, the creation of these trumpets, silver trumpets, the Magad says that or trumpets can also be read as Chatzoi Tzurot, 
half images that each and every one of us is is compatible with God and God completes us and in ways inexplicable because God deems it to be so we complete him each and every single human being can achieve and enjoy that unique relationship with God it's not something that plants or animals have it's a human thing plants and animals can't be good or bad they can just do what they're programmed to do or what they 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 react instinctually there are no good dogs or bad dogs there are dogs the rottweiler is uh, is good if you're the one being protected by it and if you're the intruder the rottweiler is terrible but the truth is that he is neither good nor bad he is simply a rottweiler and rottweilers do what rottweilers do and um, little puppies aren't good or bad it may be good or bad for you they 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 do what they do we the human you beings it doesn't i don't need to have a dog to be able to say that zelda i don't need to be a dog i'm speaking from a position of faith based on revelation not observation so it doesn't matter what our observations are and whether things seem one way or the other to us we are necessarily jaded in our view and we cannot come to our own conclusions and decide that it is an objective truth we have our own subjective truths which aren't really true because because subjectivity and truth are not compatible so the truth is objective and the truth will always be the truth whether people recognize it embrace it or reject it so the torah truth is that human beings are capable of making choices choices that are meaningful because god says they're meaningful choices that are based on the circumstances that we do not have control over but we do have the ability to choose right from wrong and right from wrong is not what we subjectively decide is right or wrong from our faith perspective which as i want to emphasize again and again is based on revelation not observation our faith perspective ordains that there is an objective right and wrong and if we choose to do the right thing we necessarily forge nurture and develop a relationship with the master of the universe the creator almighty god and that's something that's relevant for each and every single human being now you talked about these three weeks in which we the jewish people commemorate the loss of the beta migdash and the presence of god that dwelt amongst us in an open and overt way i don't know that these three weeks are necessarily relevant or meaningful for all people there are certain things which are uniquely jewish and it it governs if you will the currency of our jewish relationship with god but that that that's not to say that every human being can't and shouldn't have a relationship with god it is to say that we have a unique pathway and a unique milieu through which we experience that relationship and for we as jewish people have to follow 613 mitzvot and that's the way we are able to develop and nurture that relationship for the rest of humanity there are seven basic principles that include thousands of details in them and that is the way each and every human being can and should have a relationship with god rabbi kaplan how have we been able to continue our quest to follow our religious beliefs in spite 
of all of the things that we have had to face over the years. You know, Zelda, I think that the answer to this question is rooted in our objective uniqueness. We are, one could argue that Jewish people are wiser or smarter. I'm entirely not true that that's possible to prove empirically, and it may not be true at all. I don't know that we are necessarily wiser or smarter. I don't know that we are more handsome. I don't know that we are more capable. I don't know that we're more creative. I, I certainly don't think we're more athletic. The, the point, though, is this. The point is that we are unique not because of genetics or bodily reality. We are unique because of the neshama, because of the soul that Almighty God gave us. And that soul is a unique piece of God. And that soul has powered and fueled and animated and activated the Jewish saga from the very beginning. So, you know, they say that Louis the Sixteenth. this is purportedly, I, I, you can probably Google it and find out the details, but I don't know if it was Louis the Fifteenth or Louis the Sixteenth, but whoever was around at the time of Pascal purportedly turned to Pascal and said, is there any proof of God's existence in our world? And Pascal reportedly responded and he said, the Jews, your highness, the Jews. So our story, as we call it in Yiddish, Unzer Yiddische Geschichte, your father would appreciate that expression. Unzer Yiddische Geschichte, our history, our story is not rooted in nature. It is not framed by rhyme and reason. And it is proof for he or she who wants to look at it with open eyes and objectivity. I'm just looking up who Louis XVI was. It was a French king. He was a. <laughs> this is. France from 1774 to 1792 when the monarchy was abolished. During the French Revolution, he was overthrown and executed, ending a monarchy that was over a thousand years old. Yeah, but just, just Google Pascal because he's, he's the guy. <laughs> he's the guy who's going to complete the story for us. It'll, it'll, it'll tell us if it's the 15th or 16th. But Zelda, like, here's the point. Those details are not important. Whether it was Louis the Fifteenth or Sixteenth, it's a, it's a, it's a story with a message. It's a vignette, and it drives the 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 point home. And that's why I, that's why I shared it. I, I I really and truly believe that there is no logical way to explain the story of Jewish survival. So people ask how, and the answer is because Almighty God carries us. Because Netzach Yisrael. Lo yishaker, because the eternity of the Jewish people will not be put to lie, not because we're so smart or capable, but because Hashem, Almighty God, has deemed it to be so. The point is, we have a purpose, and yet that purpose has been, you know, up, down, sideways, you name it. And it just seems to me that if we, no matter what we do, we keep pushing through. And how far we can go until the Shiach comes, and hopefully that will be the answer to everyone, no matter who they are. Uh, l l let me say that we all, not only the Jewish people, all of humanity has a purpose. In fact, all of creation has a purpose. Nothing is expendable you know, extra, superfluous. I once saw a t-shirt that said, God doesn't create junk. So everything in the world is necessarily a 
a good a good thing or can be made good because because God deemed it to be so as such each and every one of us living with a sense of destiny mission and purpose has to try to respond to circumstances in the right way that's what we need to try and do Zelda it comes about when you get yourself educated so you know what's right or wrong or you have a rabbi on speed dial that you can ask questions to for the times that you can't find the answer yourself and by getting guidance from the Torah be it from the book or a person who has read and understands the book you know what's right and then you got to find the inner conviction courage and strength to make the right decision Zelda, you, you, you cram so many subjects into one sentence. It's hard to respond. I, I have to take notes when you speak so I can respond to two words at a time. Um, firstly, God does not create good or bad people. That is not correct. The Bible says, Tzaddik v'rosha loika omar. It doesn't say bad or good. Each and every one of us can choose to be bad or good. We were created with the freedom to choose. Nobody nobody zelda is created bad and nobody is created inherently good we are created with potential a whole lot of it the potential to be all we can be and you don't have to be all anybody else can be in fact you're not supposed to be all anybody else can be all you're supposed to be is all you can be there's a, a silly little vignette that conveys this uh, this idea where these two fellows are running away from a lion that's gotten loose. And one says to the other, as the lion is getting closer, he says, you know, I don't think we can outrun a lion anyway. Why are we running? And the friend says, I just got to outrun you. It's, a, it's like an awful story, right? And, but but the, the, the point that I want to make from that story is we are not in a race with anybody else. If I am more pious or more scholarly or more sensitive and compassionate or observant than my neighbor, but I'm not as pious, scholarly, compassionate, sensitive, and observant as I can be, guess what? I'm a failure. I have not done what was expected of me. And, and uh, the same is true with regard to my neighbor and theirs. Think of it this way, Zelda. Somebody is endowed with a brilliant mind. And if they were to apply themselves, we, would, we know that they can, for example, discover a cure to cancer. And they can change life as we know it. Because all these people who are getting sick could be healed. And instead, they decide to flip burgers. Would you consider that to be an affront? Would you consider that to be a, a crying shame, a waste of a life? I would. The person says, but I like flipping burgers. I don't want to work hard. And I, and I don't want to toil in the sciences. I just want to flip burgers. And we'd say, hey, it's not only about you. You have a responsibility to humanity. You can do so many good things. And you chose to do this instead? That 
doesn't mean flipping burgers is bad. Somebody's got to eat. I mean, everybody's got to eat and somebody's got to flip the burgers. You got to do your part. So if each of us does his or her part, then we can fulfill our destiny and our mission. Sometimes we're not sure what precisely our mission is. And that's why the Mishnah says every one of us needs mentorship. A Seluch Rav is a Mishnah. You need to have a spiritual mentor. You need to have somebody who has Torah knowledge to help guide you along so that you can live as you are supposed to live and be who you can be. So that's with regard to the first two words of your sentence. God created Jewish people and non-Jewish people. That is true. That is not to be said in the same mouthful as good and bad because Jewish people are not necessarily good and non-Jewish people are not necessarily bad. I don't think it's a very unfair thing to say. Both Jewish people and non-Jewish people, all of humanity, are created in God's image. And God has different expectations from us. We, the Jewish people, are expected to perform a different set of mitzvot. A mitzvah is a commandment from God. A mitzvah is also, by extension, a connection. It's a mechanism, a, a vehicle through which we are able to realize our potential and to develop and nurture that relationship with God. We all need to be who we can be. So to say we're all one and to lump us all into a common frame, suggesting that the same is expected from all of us, is dangerous and untrue. And it's not productive. Well, it seems to me that life is very precious and yet it can be lost very quickly, just like the young girl that, that passed away. And there doesn't seem to be any rhyme nor reason of why these things happen. How do you, how do you talk to the parents, Rabbi Kaplan? What do you say to them at this time, at this time? Well, once again, Zelda, you've uh, put a lot of information into very few words. Can we like, can I respond to two words at a time? That's my question. You got it, so you know what I'm saying. I'm just wondering. You, 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 you started by... No, I didn't. No, please, started please. by asking you about this, the passing of this young No, no, that was, that was the end of the sentence. But okay, I don't, I don't even remember what the beginning of the sentence was. It was, <laughs> I, like I said, I have to stop you every two words, Elders, I can, I can respond appropriately. Um, I have so many things in my mind. There, there is no, you're, you're a brilliant woman. It's wonderful. Um, let, let, let me just say, Zelda, there, there is no cookie cutter answer to any of these questions. You said something about uh, apparently life being precious. Well, yes, life, life is precious. And life is precious because God deems it to be precious, Zelda. Life is precious because God tells us that life is an extraordinary opportunity to accomplish things in the area of our relationship with God and the transformation of the world as we know it that can only be achieved when body and soul are fused together. And life is certainly tenuous. Nobody knows what the next moment will bring. So we have to value life. We have to appreciate life and we have to try to use life well. And when things happen that are entirely unexpected and inexplicable and cause tremendous anguish and, and pain, we don't have cookie cutter answers. Every parent is different. Every child is different. Every relationship is different. Every circumstance is different. And, and we don't always have to say things. There aren't always words. Sometimes 
A presence is important. Ambivalence and indifference is probably the most hurtful and the worst thing of all. I have learned the hard way that you don't always have to have something smart to say. And sometimes we need to be present for each other. We need to be there for each other. And that's meaningful. Well, everybody goes through things that other people don't. And I'm not sure how that is, you know, how that's served. Why should this person have to lose a child? that person not or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there, Zelda, and I'm going to tell you that we believe, and I say believe because it doesn't make sense. We believe that God gives each and every single human being exactly the circumstances that they need. That is to say, they'll receive precisely the amount of wherewithal and precisely uh, the, the, the controlled condition, circumstance, and situation that they were intended to have to deal with or contend with and, and it doesn't make sense to us it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense to us and that's the important difference to add the word us we believe that there is rhyme and reason somewhere but to come along to a person who's suffering and say hey there's a good reason for this would be insensitive and from our perspective untrue because we can't fathom certain things we can't begin to wrap our minds around the suffering of human beings. And to rationalize people's suffering, I think, is actually cruel and indifferent. The same people who rationalize bad things that happen to other people somehow are tongue-tied when it's happening to them. Well, when the shoe's on the other foot. Well, that, 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 so it boils down to, it boils down to indifference. It boils on. I was talking to somebody recently about this very subject, uh, Zelda, and, and he said to me, well, the, you know, there has to be an explanation and things have to make sense. And he's going on and on. And I said to him, I said to him, why? He said, what do you mean? Because as people of faith, we have to rationalize things. And I said, and suppose A, B and C would happen to you. What would you say? He said, oh, I, I would say I can't understand it. I said, so then your ability to understand somebody else's suffering or rationalize somebody else's pain essentially is rooted in indifference and lack of compassion and sensitivity. I don't, I don't, I, I said this before on Air Zelda, I'm going to say it again. I don't want ever to have to be able to understand somebody else's suffering. I don't want to be able to rationalize somebody else's suffering because, because a, a piece of your humanity is left at the door when you can understand or rationalize the suffering that somebody else is going through. I think most people can appreciate the pain that someone is going through because in many cases losing a loved one or being ill or losing your business, I think most people can relate to that, not on the same level at that moment, but I do think we're humane enough to be able to feel the pain of our friends or not. You know, Zelda, this is actually the meaning of the biblical commandment, you should love your fellow as yourself. It, it, on the surface, it sounds impossible. Nobody can love somebody else the way they love themselves. Nobody can, can be as partial to others as they are to themselves. So Hasidus explains that to love somebody else is to look at somebody else with the same, if you will, kindness, with the, with the same generosity 
as you view yourself. And just as nobody would ever come along and justify his or her own suffering and say, oh yeah, I deserve this. And, and I know exactly why this is happening and it makes perfect sense. We shouldn't be able to do that with somebody else either. Life is very, very precious and yet it's very complicated. And, you know, doing the very best. You said that you're talking about the guy who's, uh, you know, shoveling the hamburgers or whatever you call it, as opposed to to doing something else that would be much more in his stride. But that's his choice. Yeah, yeah, Zelda. That that you know that's that that is precisely the point. It is our choice. It is our choice. We can choose to flip burgers. We we can we can choose to do something which is beneath our potential, and others are poorer for it. We can choose to do that. God gives us that choice. I think it's a bad choice. I think that, that um, forget about scientific breakthrough and making life better for people. I think that most people who appreciate uh, the, the arts or culture or sports, who would meet somebody who could achieve greatness on a canvas or on, or on the sports field and who chooses to do something very menial and you know, not, not achieve greatness when they're destined and, or, or preordained for greatness, people would say that's a waste. They'd say that's a that's a waste of talent. That's a waste of ability. I mean, you you could have become this amazing musician, and you instead chose to do something menial or simple. Come on, like like how could you? Strangely, when it comes to spiritual potential, people get this blind spot, and that's because unfortunately, not enough people value and appreciate spirituality. But that is really what life's about, because nothing else is left at the end. Everything returns to dust, and the only thing that is eternal is the Torah we studied, the mitzvahs we performed, and the moments of connectivity we achieved through prayer and communion with God. So, Rabbi Kaplan, what do you think our purpose is in being on this planet for a certain amount of years, each one of us going through our own specific deeds or what the the answer zelda is really not what i think because all of us are subjective in our thoughts and our perspective the question once again is is there an objective answer to that question and the answer is yes our purpose broadly speaking is to make our world a godly and goodly place the world which naturally conceals godliness, the world, the word olam in Hebrew stands for the term of obfuscation or concealment, helam, because it conceals the presence of God. And our mission and purpose is to reveal the presence of God. And we do so on God's terms. We do so by following Hashem's Torah and doing with life what the Creator and the gifter of life asks us to do. So when we study and when we become knowledgeable and when we put that knowledge to work, we are fulfilling our destiny and our purpose. And our purpose is not to have lots of fun. And our purpose is not to die with the most toys. And our purpose is not to fulfill one's own subjective and sometimes selfish dreams. That's not our purpose, Elder. And nothing is left from all of that pursuit when life ends. What is left is the dent in the darkness you made through your Yiddishkeit and through your spiritual devotion to God. And that includes all of us. Well, I'm 
not sure how many people understand that and how they follow through. Uh, some people just live each day and hopefully they do it in the right way. And, and other people don't. You know, Zelda, the truth isn't decided by a democratic election. Uh, the, the truth comes from God. That's what we believe. So whilst uh, democracy is a, a wonderful system, and it's probably the, the best of the bad systems of governance we have, but power is always toxic and it corrupts. And it's very difficult to govern people or be able to lord over people and to do it with, with love and compassion without it getting to you. It's a, it's a very difficult thing. It's a fraught thing. And like I said, democracy is the best of the bad systems we have, the imperfect systems we have. But that's not how we decide right and wrong. It's not a democratic thing. We don't, we don't take a vote to see whether something is moral or immoral. We as Jewish people believe that right and wrong comes from a higher place. And it's our job to toil at finding the answers that are in the Torah so that we can know what's right and then find the strength, courage, and stamina to do it. But shouldn't we also know the difference between right and wrong without we, having... We certainly should know the difference between right and wrong, but we won't be able to intuit the difference between right and wrong. That'll require us reaching out and finding the truth that is not inherent and it's not subjective. You know, it's like saying, Zelda, uh, a, a person has a medical problem, so he or she should figure out how to heal themselves. Sometimes people know what's best for themselves, and even halacha recognizes that sometimes the patient must be asked and listened to. But the patient is not the one who decides the method of treatment. That comes from people who have experience in the field, and that experience is based on observation. It's, in, it's based on empirical evidence. Faith and worship of Hashem, living a life of meaning, is also something that comes with experience. This, however, is not based on empirical observations, but rather on revelation. And this is the foundation of our Yiddishkeit, mass revelation at Sinai. God spoke to millions of people. Millions heard God speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. And that is why and how we believe in the eternal and immutable truth of our Holy Torah. I agree with you. I don't know if you have as many followers as you have, uh, but I think that people are open to to what is really the reason we're all. Here. No, nobody should be my followers, Elder. <laughs> I, I I don't have anything uh, the wherewithal with which to command a following per se. I have the good fortune of knowing uh, wonderful people like yourself and having opportunity to study and to share words of Torah and Torah perspective. And uh, for me, that's a gift. I'm grateful for it. And if I can uplift people and help change their lives for the better by sharing the knowledge that I'm privileged to have absorbed, that is the greatest gift. And perhaps that is my purpose and my destiny. Well, it's obvious that your purpose is helping other people and, uh, you know, teaching us the things that we should do as opposed to not do. And I think that as time has gone on and you've been a part of our growing show, uh, you have been a light to our listeners in just about every way possible. And uh, 
it's just a joy and a pleasure to have you on board on a regular basis. So I just want to say thank you to you for everything that you do for us. Well, Zelda, you're welcome, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, you are a light for the Jewish and general community in, in the GTA and beyond. Uh, we both know that you have listeners really around the world, including an avid audience down under in Australia. Uh, and uh, I, I, on behalf of all of our listeners, I want to wish you good health, long life, and continued strength and stamina to do your wonderful things in spreading the good word on the airwaves, which is a, an enormous privilege and a tremendous responsibility. Thank you very much. It's a combined effort. You have a wonderful day, and God willing, we'll talk with you again. Uh, let me end, Zelda, uh, once again by thanking you and offering a prayer that we should merit the coming of Mashiach and the answer to all questions and the solution to all problems as our world becomes the perfect, goodly, and godly place it is destined and will be Ezrat Hashem soon be. May we merit to see it in our time. May we hear good news, may we share good news, and may the news of the world's transformation be imminent. Thank you, Zelda. Have a wonderful day. And that's it, guys. Thank you for joining on Facebook.